You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. I have a hard time coming up with a title for this sermon. You know, most of the time, the preachers I know at least, from their Bible reading will pick up a book feel like God wants them to go through with their congregation. And we'll do that week by week until we finish it. And this one didn't come that way. It's, it's kind of like an autobiography, and I hope that's going to be okay. But sometimes the best thing we can do is tell other people what happened in our Christian life. Amen. Uh, you're going to visit people, and a lot of people are uh, scared to death to go on visitation, and I would understand that, but it's not an easy thing to do. It is kind of scary, but remember, you can always tell them what God did for you. You can tell them how you got saved. Like the blind man, they're asking him all the questions. He said, I don't know the answer to all those questions, but once I was blind and now I can see. Yes. And uh, all of us can do that. So hopefully, maybe we can move in that direction just a little bit tonight. So if you would stand with me, we're going to look at a few verses, and then we'll get right into uh, the message. I do have a title going to sound strange and maybe the time we get through it will connect a little bit. Um, it happened at work. And that's just going to be the title. Okay, Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30. I'm going to be thinking a lot tonight about reaching other people for Christ if I were a traveling salesman, I wouldn't be standing here. I would have starved to death a long time ago. <laughs> if I worked at a store and someone came in to buy tools, I would sell them more than they could carry out. Yeah. Now, I think some people feel like a preacher or a missionary. This is easy stuff for them. But we all many times go and stand on the porch of people we do not know, probably don't care for us being there because they have things to do and wonder how we're going to be received. I'm just saying, I understand that it's not easy. It was not easy for me. Now, I've got to say really quick before you begin to think, oh, there's a preacher that doesn't go on visitation, so I think I like him, you know. I didn't say that. As a matter of fact, we were kind of like visitation freaks at Eastland Baptist Church, passing out tracts and so forth, and say, why do you do that? Find very many people at home? I said, no, because the Lord tells us to do it. Yes, going to the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Yes, so it's a good thing and it does, it does produce. And while I'm thinking about it too, uh, the men's prayer meeting. What a great opportunity. Yes, Went to Eastland in 1973 with about 50 people there. And I think it was a pastor, it was maybe the fourth Sunday. And I said to the men, we're going to have a prayer meeting on Sunday mornings. And we're going to have that at 7 o'clock. And I said, I'm coming if nobody comes. And I'd made my mind up. I was going to be there to pray. And I didn't know if any of the men would come or not. And sure enough, I think four or five. And we only have 50 people with, you know, children and wives. There's not a lot of men. But we had that many come. And, uh, and then the years went on. Yes, sir. And then when I left after 30 years, that last Sunday or the last few Sundays, that whole year just about, 130 men were gathering, and the reputation got around about that's where I began to get calls from missionaries that were having a unique problem, and I remember Brother Boonstra calling me one day, and a lot of you would know Carl Boonstra 
the, his, his daughter and son-in-law, and they were having a lot of trouble with people who were trying to uh, kidnap and all sorts of things. And he called with tears and he said, Brother Hardy, and he had been to our church several times, been to the men's prayer meeting, I'm calling this because of your men. If they can't take care of this, I don't think they're going to make it. And I shared that with the men, and I, I mean they went to work. So I want to encourage you men. Yes, we need more godly men in this nation. Yes, and all of us men know that we can't do it by ourselves. So we, we need the Lord and we need each other. Yes, and I want to encourage you ladies uh, to encourage your husband to come. So when we started, uh, we would go down to a Denny's about a half a mile down and have a little bit of a fellowship together and maybe some breakfast. And it wasn't long and we couldn't get in there and get out in time. And so some of the ladies came to me and said, uh, Preacher, the men's prayer meeting has been so profitable for our husbands, we're going to come and fix breakfast. And they continued to do that the whole time. So that happens at Bible Baptist Church in Stillwater. The difference being those ladies are cowgirls, and they won't buy anything that's pre-cooked. So they're there about 5 to 5.30. <laughs> they don't have to come that early if they do it different. Uh, and we thank the Lord uh, for them. So anyway, I just want to mention that. It'll be good for everybody in this church yes, for the men to get together and pray. Yes, Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. I love fruit. Peaches are my favorite. I can eat so many peaches. When I just look at the fuzz, it makes my teeth hurt. <laughs> I love them. Peach cobbler. Yes. Peach fried pies, whatever is good. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Uh, not that we're exactly fruit, but we're getting the idea here that we can be the kind of tree, like I've talked about with friends, to give somebody something eternal. And how can we do more than that? And he that winneth souls is wise. Now, that's a great word, wise. Wonder where we'd all be if every decision we have made had been a wise one. And those of us who have been saved a long time, hopefully the majority, great majority of them have been. Okay, Daniel chapter 12, that'll be the last chapter in Daniel. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Between Ezekiel and Daniel, you'll probably find that pretty quick. And in chapter 12 and verse 3. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Now, the first part of that verse says, and they shall be wise. Now, I'm going to tell you one of the wisest decisions you will make is to be involved in getting the gospel out. You think about this whole universe with the billions and thousands of galaxies and stars, and why all of it's here? One reason. A place that men and women can live on and raise a family and where the gospel can be preached so that the Lord can have a creature made in His image and then when He comes back to get them, He's going to destroy all of it and make it all new. A new heaven, a new earth, wouldn't you want to be involved in that? Yes. Uh, the greatest thing that will ever, ever happen. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmaments, and they as many to turn righteous as the stars forever and ever. And one more, John 15, 16.
John 15, 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. Yes, sir. And that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of me, the Father of the Father in my name, he may give it you. There are some great promises, goals with trying to win people to Christ. Father, thank you for the privilege to be here tonight, Eastside Baptist Church and these good people. I pray that you would illumine our hearts and minds to understand Bible truth. I am of the persuasion that I'll never ever personally be able to present it as well as it should be, but I trust in you and your spirit to convey these great truths into our hearts and that we may be able to serve you in such a way that would bring glory to your name. And we give you all the praise. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Let you seated. Kind of want to try to get a universal amen here right at the front if I possibly can. Uh, something that I would feel like all of us would agree with. And if you don't agree with it, then we're going to have special prayer time or whatever like that. And, and that is so winning. Now, I've been in a ministry 50 years, and and what I'm really referring to tonight is not primarily what happens as a result uh, of my preaching. If I preach tonight and somebody gets saved, you can say, well, that's one in your notch and in your gun. Not really so. Usually when someone gets saved in church, it's not necessarily the pastor's work. It's one of you people's work. And God keeps good records. And so I think God has put us here together, you know, uh, to work like that. So when I reference soul winning, I'm talking about my personal responsibility to try to reach other people for Christ. Now, I don't know how many I've led to the Lord, um, but something I hope we're going to agree with in a moment, I I don't know. Maybe I should try to keep it, but I don't want to be a person that's, again, like I'm trying to make notches in my gun or whatever the case like that. But of those I've been able to win to the Lord, there's one statement I have to make. I wish there'd been more. Now, I'm going to try to get that universal amen. If you feel the same way, however many you've won, you wish there'd been more. Let's hear you say it right now. Amen? Amen. Amen. It seemed to me like everyone said that. Now, I want to say to you that every one of you can have more. As long as we breathe on this earth, we can have more. Now, to kind of get to it happened at work. After I'd been at Eastland Baptist Church about five years, and when I was in the Navy, I was on a submarine, and, and the Navy is not really an overly spiritual place, and Probably no military installation probably is really that way. But I've been pastor of Eastland Baptist Church about five years. And I said to my wife one day, I said, "Hun, I'm I'm missing the Navy. Now, I didn't think I'd probably ever say that. uh, Because it wasn't easy. And we'll talk a little bit about that when I go through here. Um, Because I remember when my son was a week and a half old. And I went on over a four-month cruise around South America, and I left her in a run-down trailer park with no car and very little money. I was able to get enough money. I said, uh, 
I, I can buy you a Greyhound bus ticket and get you back to Texas so you can be with your family. This is a long time. And she looked at that rundown trailer and said, uh, I married you and this is my home. I'll be here when you get back. Now, I'm going to never forget those words as long as I live. And she was there when I came back. Well, she said to me then at that time when I was about to five years why, why would you say you'd, you'd miss the Navy? I said, hon, the reason I miss the Navy is every time I turned around, I bumped into a lost person. Wow. Yeah. Now, you may never think this about your pastor, or was Brother Spencer, whatever, but the longer you pastor in the church and the more it grows, the less contact he will have with the lost people. Right. Yeah. It's less. Because you say, well, why is that? Well, I think probably some of you take his time. <laughs> I remembered Eastland Baptist Church, and I loved being with our people. But, you know, it's kind of like was Rachel, you know, Lord, he give me children or I die. You know, it just seems like as a Christian, just not, nothing like having something to do with everybody finding Christ. Yes. It's kind of like having another child yourself. And it is, it's a spiritual child that you can have uh, in your life. I want us to turn to one more scripture here and we'll move on a little bit in Luke chapter 20, verses 24 and 25. And then I need to borrow some money. <laughs> oh, I heard an amen. Somebody's got some. Audrey, you got any money? I had to have a certain amount. It can't be but one certain amount. I need a penny. Yeah. See, if you don't have any pennies, it means you've got too much money. <laughs> so, hurry up. Katie's going to get it. And there's bound to be a great reward. You get it in the mail. <laughs> Look at this. I'll ask her first. I'm well, I could have two. <laughs> I'll just use one. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, now we're back to Luke, chapter 20, and beginning in verse 20. 20 and 20. And they watched him and sent forth spies. These, uh, you know, the Pharisees and Sadducees were always after Jesus. And they watched him and sent forth spies, which had feigned themselves just men, that they might take hold of his words that so they might deliver him unto the power and authority of the governor. And they asked him, saying, Master, we know that thou sayest and teachest rightly. Every pastor knows when they start talking to you that much sugar on it, they're up to something. Neither acceptest thou the person of any, but teachest the way of God truly. Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no? But he perceived their craftiness and said unto them, Why tipped ye me? Show me a penny. And that's the reason I needed one. It's in case somebody didn't have one and didn't see one. <laughs> show, me the temp, show me a penny. Whose impression, or if you go to the Greek, would be icon. But icon is very familiar now because of computers and things like that. Show me a penny. Whose image and superscription hath it? They answered and said, Caesar's. 
And he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things that be Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. And they could not take hold of his words before the people. And they marveled at his answer and held their peace. I want to talk about the subject of commerce just for a minute. Commerce is business. It's making stuff and trading stuff and, and with money back and forth. And I suppose in the beginning, uh, you know, with the first few people were on earth, maybe, you know, some were farmers, and we know that'd be true, and then some would be with sheep or some other kind of animal, we know that'd be true. And they would like to have each other's goods, and they probably lived in some proximity, and they could just talk to them about it and trade off and do it. But as more people inhabited the earth, then there had to be another way. You couldn't haul sheep and vegetables all over the place just to find out if it's what someone wanted. And so they came up with uh, money, which all Americans like a lot. And to be truthful with, I don't know of anybody that really doesn't like it. Because if you ask them to give it to you, if they don't, then it's probably not going to happen. So Jesus said, uh, give me a penny. And they give it to him, and he held it up, and he said, whose image? And they said, of course, Caesar's. He was the sovereign of that country. Maybe we'd call him a king, but a sovereign. So he said, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. It's interesting how God uses commerce, and you'll understand it better, I think, momentarily, but how many images do you see? I'm looking. You put fingers up. I'm keep seeing this. What did you put up? Somebody put up two. Somebody's not right. <laughs> I am made in God's. I am an icon. Now, I think God is responsible for commerce. Without God, you couldn't grow vegetables or have animals or anything else. I think in his wisdom, and I think when the coin showed up, uh, and they decided back then, since you, the only way to know what the emperor or whatever you wanted to call him, the Caesar of that day looked like, they didn't have TV, you understand. They didn't have cameras. Was to have something in his likeness. So the king's image was seen on money, on the coin. Yes. Well, so begin to think about commerce. He rendered the things that are Caesar's to Caesar's, the things that are God's and so forth. And God knew if there's going to be any commerce, there's got to be people at work in order for there to be commerce or there'd be no coins. But I think our mistake, in the, and the Bible talks to us, is that you cannot serve God and mammon. I mean, you, can, you can serve God and have mammon. Mammon means money, but you can't make both of them boss. One of them's got to be boss. But I'm going to say that this thing's got turned around, and America thinks more of this image than this one. What I'm trying to say is, is, why would this one, which is just some kind of piece of metal that could buy you something, be more important to humanity than the one that looks like the creator that will come back to receive them and be their God forever? Right. Something gets turned upside down. Right. Yep. 
Now, the other reason I would say that God's into commerce is it brings us into contact with virtually everybody on the face of the earth. Who is not involved in commerce in one way or the other? Everyone. Even when you're young, you begin to figure out some kind of way in order that you make money. Now, I hope that will at least be a little bit clear and understandable. And maybe I could illustrate just a little bit how maybe that commerce uh, could work. So let's go to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Now Mark 1, 16 says, As he walked, talking about Jesus, Now as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishers, or we would say fishermen. And Jesus said unto them, Come you after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they took their nets and followed him. Now, I want to say to you a moment, I mean, this is a pretty significant couple of guys. Simon Peter and Andrew. And Jesus finds them, and they're fishing because they were fishermen. That's what fishermen do is fish. And he called them, and they followed him. Jesus found them where? He found them at work. Did he or did he not? How would you like to take those two out of the Bible? What is their worth? And they weren't out playing. They really weren't even at home. They were on the job. We're talking commerce. Look where Jesus went to find people. Then we can go down just a little bit farther, beginning in verse 19. And, and I'd like you to respond if you would. It'll help us a little bit here when I ask you where he found them. And when he had gone a little farther thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. Looks like they're doing the same occupation. And straightway he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and they went after him. So we have Simon, Peter, and Andrew and now we have James and John. We have the three of the inner circle. We have the John on whose breast Jesus leaned on his, he leaned on his, his breast and uh, where did he find them? It happened where? It happened at, at work. Some of y'all hadn't got that. Let's just see if we can say that. If I can do like, it happened at work. If it did. If it didn't, then don't say anything. But if it's in the Bible and it happened at work, then because just about everybody here works. Now, commerce wouldn't just only involve people that work you work with because some of you don't work an outside job now. Maybe you get my age, maybe you don't as much or whatever. Maybe you're retired, I don't know. I'm not sure what that word means exactly. But still, you go to places to get your car fixed or do something. In other words, you frequent individual places. You'll see these people several times over and you'll make contact with them. Well, then just, just go over here a couple more pages and get my notes here together. In chapter 2 of Mark, in verse 14, Mark 2, 14, 
Let me go back to 13. Both will just take care of it. But verse 13, and he went forth again by the seaside and all the multitude resorted unto him and he taught them and he, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphanus, sitting at the receipt of custom and he said unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed. Now Levi is Matthew. What a guy too. Matthew, the first of our Gospels. Now, Matthew was a tax collector. If God can save a tax collector, he can save anybody. Nobody has or will ever like a tax collector. And I'm sorry if you're here tonight, but just kind of the way it is. And so they had a post in Damascus, and the caravans going down to the Mediterranean Sea passed through there, and he collected the taxes. And usually the tax collectors would add a little bit for themselves. Where did Jesus found him? Where was he? He was at? Yeah. I hate to admit how many times I've read that, Pastor, and never started putting together where Jesus was finding so many of these key people in his ministry. And uh, it was at work. We'll bring it a little bit closer to home here. So in 1958... I was 14 years of age. I visited my first Independent Baptist Church. I'd landed my first reasonable job that I thought at 14 years of age, and I was sacking groceries at Buddy's Supermarket in Arlington, Texas. Now, I grew up in church, but not a Baptist church. I learned a lot about the Bible, was never under conviction one time, didn't get in any kind of trouble, trying to be a decent kid, whatever the case. But anyway, this has got my new job, and my wife's stepbrother, Worked there stocking groceries, and I was just sacking groceries, come through the cash register, and I'd put them in the sack. He started to bother me about coming to church. I said, I already go to church. <laughs> but he was kind of relentless about it, and he never did stop, and I thought, well, I'm going to go. The church I'd been going to uh, taught primarily, and then the Bible, don't misunderstand me, the Bible says we should teach. But there's a difference in teaching and preaching in the most part. Teaching is primarily the dissemination of information, and you do what you want to with it. Preaching is a dissemination of information, but the difference is, I think Haddon Robinson said, is between a firecracker and a gun. Firecracker makes a big boom, and it'll blow things around, but preaching is like a hunter's gun, and when you pull the trigger, you're looking for something to fall. In other words, you're looking for something to take place. So the church I'd been going to, like I said, I learned some good information, but I never was under conviction, never felt compelled that I needed to do something. So I went to this independent Baptist church. A big day for them would be 35 to 40. So we're talking small. The old preacher there was probably not quite my age now, but I would say he was about 70. He was an Irishman and white-haired and about like, well, any way you measured him, he'd be about like, <laughs> he'd be about like that. And he started preaching and his face got, you know, Irishmen have a kind of a red face anyway. It got redder. And then the veins came out. I was kind of looking for a seatbelt, Pastor. I had never been around anything like this. And I mean, for about 45 minutes, he tore everything up. And he got my attention. I came back that night. And he did it again. And in my mind, I said, this man feels like this is urgent. Something I really need to do. I came back the next Sunday. Now, the church I went to didn't believe in eternal security, and I, used to, I did have a little bit of a brain as a teenager. I thought, if you can lose it, I bet I can do it. 
you know, even though I wasn't out to do it, I just knew, you know, probably that would happen, it's a good service. And then I came back that night, so that would have been my fourth service at an independent Baptist church. And uh, got on John chapter 5, verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on sent me hath everlasting life. Amen. Shall not come to condemnation. Pass from death into life. Three times let me know that once I was saved, I'd always be saved and nothing anybody else could do about it. Amen. And then, if that wasn't enough, his grandson, son, now belonged to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, yes, sir. but for all eternity. Yes, sir. And every time he said, now I belong to Jesus, my 14-year-old heart said, I don't. I don't. But I'm telling him when the service is over and they gave the invitation. Didn't take this 14-year-old boy long to get down to the altar and trust Christ as his personal Savior. You know, the devil doesn't like that. He'd do anything to keep that from happening. Now, like I said, we have 35 to 40 people. I think our rows were about four deep. But when you don't know much about the church and you don't know much about these kind of things, and I kept looking at that altar and I knew I needed to do something, it looked like a runway for a 747. Yes. And I just knew when I went down there, if somebody said, look at him, I wonder what he did. He's coming to the altar, you know. But then that guy that sung the song was standing beside me and he knew. He could see I was under conviction. He said, I'll go with you. I said, they'll think he did it. Let's go. <laughs> uh, and I trusted Christ. That's been a long time. Amen. And it's all been good. But once you get saved, then God has a great program for your life. And none of us here ever know this side of heaven what all God's done in an attempt to use us for him so that he can reward us. He has a lot. He, he Behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. So this one's a little bit strange, and I'm still kind of in a, you know, kind of an autobiography here just a little bit. So it wasn't too long after that. Three years I'd been saved, and I joined the Navy. I love baby Christians. You say you're saying that about yourself. Well, if you want to, it doesn't make any difference. I can be in trouble with whatever, but I love baby Christians. I've discovered the reason I do love them so much is they don't know any better than to do exactly what the Bible says. Amen. It's not till we've been saved longer that we know better. Boy, help us. Yeah. I'm telling you, that's true. Right. I hope you're not one of them. It's real easy to do when you're a teacher, maybe a deacon, a trustee, or a preacher, or something like that. You know, I know where I'm, by the time you think you know where I'm, you speak, you don't know much. Yeah. Yeah. Pride goes before a fall. So I got in the Navy, and uh, I, I wish I just had time to tell you about the first time I walked on board across that gangplank, and they saluted old glory and asked for permission to come aboard. I mean, it's a story in itself. But we've passed that because it doesn't fit what's going on here tonight. So I've been on that submarine about three to four months, and someone said, Hardy, the captain and the executive officer want you in the wardroom right now. <laughs> now, I don't know if you know this, but a captain on the ship has the authority to marry and bury, and I was already married. <laughs> I really wasn't interested in going in and talking to the captain and the executive officer. Now, to me, this is totally strange. So I go in there and I say, yes, sir. He said, Hardy, I've been watching you. They're both sitting there, but the captain's the only one speaking. They're both lost. As far as I know, they never got to know the Lord. I don't know, but, I, but they were lost. And the captain said, Hardy, we've been watching you. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> I don't know if that was good or not. 
he said, uh, you don't do drugs, do you? He asked me four things. This is the first one. You don't do drugs, do you? I said, no, sir, I, I don't. He said, you don't drink. I said, no, sir, I don't. He said, you don't even smoke. I said, no, sir, I don't. He said, this is the fourth one. You don't have any girl pictures on your locker, which is really prominent in the Navy. I said, no, sir, I don't. Here's a lost Navy captain, and he said, um, I want you to hold religious services on this submarine when it's at sea. Now, I've got the unique um, heritage. Someone said, how did God call you to preach? He didn't. A lost Navy captain did. So. <laughs> now, some of you are saying, this, what's this mean to me? God wants to use all of us. Don't miss it, don't, and don't foul things up, young people, so that God never says that to you because he can't. Think about what that lost man asked for. Sometimes lost people have a higher standard for a Christian than people sitting in the pew. That's wrong. He said, are you bragging? No, because I didn't know anything. I was a baby Christian. I didn't know any better. Except that maybe that's what the Lord you know, wanted me to do. So it, uh, I was in the Navy, so it happened at... Uh, Happened at work cycling groceries, and it happened at work when I was in the Navy. I, I think the point can be probably well taken. Yep. When I got out of the Navy, I uh, went to Bell Helicopter in Fort Worth, Texas. Got a job uh, there. I had electronics, electricity in the Navy. And uh, it's a big building. I mean, a lot bigger than this. I mean, you know how it was back in the Vietnam War was hot. And we were building... Hueys and Cobra helicopters. And since I did that kind of work, then, uh, you know, electrical and so forth, if I could just do it this way, like, it'd almost be like if I could just take these pews, except there'd be a little bit more room, and put up a four by, four by eight piece of plywood all the way across here, which mean, you know, they couldn't see me, and these folks couldn't see them because there would be a four by eight piece of plywood across every one of these pews. In other words, I'm saying you can see the person to your right, you can see the person to your left, but you could not see the next aisle up. And there were several hundred men working. So I met a man named Lee Ingram, and uh, I invited him to church, and he told me how to get off. Yeah. And he knew how to do it. <laughs> and so I thought, okay. So when it, lunchtime would come at Bell Helicopter, I had a lunch bucket, and it always smelled like a banana and a peanut butter sandwich. And I'd have my lunch. That was my time, 45 minutes. But I'd always pray over my lunch. And I had a New Testament that I'd read a little bit during that time. The Bible says, let your light so shine like a city on a hill can't be hid. Yes, sir. Make every effort you can without doing wrong to let people know I'm a child of God. Yes. Isn't it great to go to a restaurant and that God provides you some good food and can just bow your head and let people know. Let me tell you where this came from. Because without him, none of it even grow. That's right. Much less, you know, be on the table. I said, okay, maybe another day. Well, I was sitting beside another guy a couple, three days later, and we called him Tapeworm. <laughs> <laughs> and we called him Tapeworm because he was about six foot three, about like a broomstick, and he ate like a horse. It was a waste of money. I never did any good whatsoever. So one day at lunch, I had my Bible out and I started talking to him about the Lord. He listened, Pastor, he listened to every word I said. I said, this is good. 
because it was our lunch break. We weren't taking our boss's time. I want you to understand, you don't take your boss's time. You take your time. He went all the way through it, and nothing happened. But God's God. So here we got this aisle. Let's just say that I was right here, and here's this backboard in the next row. Standing right behind that plywood that I couldn't see was a man named Lee Ingram that wouldn't talk to me about it. See, I had no idea when I was talking to Tapeworm. I was really talking to Lee Ingram. And God said, I'm telling you, if you get on God's program and say, Lord, I want to serve you no matter where I am, what I do, I want to do it the best I can, would you help me? It's unbelievable what God will go to in order to do that. And Lee Ingram came over by the, that day, about the time I get ready to go to work, he just came up to me and said, I'm going to church with you, Sonny, and I want to hear one more thing out of you after that. <laughs> I said, okay. He came to church. The Lord was waiting on that boy. He got saved. Amen. Now, your pastor knows Lee Ingram, or knew him. He's deceased now. Had cancer. But Lee Ingram got saved. A year later, he went to Bible college finished Bible college, went to Allentown, Pennsylvania, started a church. That church is still going today, and then God moved him down to Fort Worth, and he built kind of a restart on a church there, built a pretty good-sized church out of that one. I think, well, and he was a good friend to me. (laughs) We were close. I I can't bear to think if there had never been that confrontation together. And I, I thought I'd never see him again. How much do the people mean to you that you work with? What do you think they are? Some kind of toy? They're an eternal soul. Yes, sir. Right. I'm going to see him. Yes, sir. Yeah, you will. Well, um, while I was in Bible college, I'm doing this chronologically as best I can. And we're about through here. But uh, So I was in BBC in the Bible college. And I was on about... Uh, our, our auditorium, if you want to call it that, was really a field house is what it was. It would hold about 5,000. That's when BBC had about 2,000 or so students. So you had a flat floor like this. And let's just say when you get to this aisle or that one, it was a much bigger building. It angled up. And I was sitting up on the side there. It was chapel, day for chapel. And I'm kind of messing with some notes. All the people weren't there yet. And the speaker wasn't ready to preach and so a guy was coming up the steps, and I thought, I probably know him. And then it's like the Lord said, well, you know a lot of people. You've been here three years. I didn't think any more about it. And then someone reached around and grabbed me on the shoulder. I turned around and looked, and it was a guy named Freddie England. Well, Freddie England was a cook on the submarine. And where I, with the men, we had four, like your folding tables. Y'all Baptists know about folding tables? <laughs> If you're not good, you're going to go to a Baptist purgatory and move folding tables and folding chairs for a thousand years. <laughs> and paint your fingers off. So we have like four tables, you know, one, two, three, four, and it'd be six men at each one. And of course, in here it's so big, but if I was over against this wall, maybe I should make them over here someplace. And you've got just enough for 24 men, and the galley was on the other side of this bulkhead. You would call it a wall, but there was a window big enough for the cook to hand the food out. He said, 
I was on a submarine before him. He said, I had to listen to you preach. I was a captive audience for three years while you were talking to those men on Sunday. He said, I never had the courage with the rest of the sailors to make a decision. He said, I got out of the Navy, went home, straight found me an independent Baptist church, got saved. God's called me to preach. I'm here at Bible College. I want you to think about God and his sovereignty. I didn't know he ever got saved. I mean, he was on the submarine when I left. I didn't know anything about Freddie England. And God could have done this any way he wanted to, but he wanted me to know. Freddie did not know I was at Baptist Bible College. We'd had no contact. And I'd been out of the Navy four years when that happened. And there he was. Went to Great Falls, Montana. Started a church. He too has succumbed to cancer, like my friend Lee Ingram, not as far back as Lee, but um, he's a cook, but all this happened, it happened at You see, I don't think we know how many times the Lord may use us because I had no idea about Freddie England. And I really didn't think there was anything else going to happen with Lee Ingram after he told me where to get off. I wonder what else God's got up his sleeve, if I could say it that way. So I don't know how you feel about it, and I don't know how many people you want to the Lord, and I wouldn't ask you. It's none of my business. But if you've been saved very long, I can't imagine There's not anybody at all. Now, if you remember John 15, 16, God's purpose, and you you didn't call me, I called you. And I called you to bear fruit. Yes, sir. Now, how many of you that have a car, cars are primarily for transportation. I realize they got a radio in them, they got air conditioning, and all that's nice. You can live without that if you have to, but if that car won't run, how long are you going to keep it? I mean, it won't run. You can't make it run. I'm just trying to get a point across. Why wouldn't we be as fair with God as you are with everybody else? I mean, God made us to do a certain thing. We can do all the other things. But the primary thing is to somehow, some way, affect somebody else. You say, I don't know how about it. It scares me to death. Just do what you can. Just do what you can. And you'll be amazed. Now I'm thinking about when we get to heaven and Uh, It's going to be great what it'll be like when you first get there. Who would you want to see first? And you don't have to answer, but I think probably uh, the most spiritual answer and probably as true is the Lord because he paid for all of it. But as carnal as I am, maybe that wouldn't be the first person I'd look for. And the Lord knows, I've always been honest with the Lord and say, Lord, I really need help. And he, he knows that. Maybe it's mom and dad. Isn't that special to have a godly mom and dad? Helped you find Christ yourself, maybe. But what about that person other than that? So what if maybe, and I could just borrow Samuel, I'm going to change him to Ligram right now. And you go to heaven and you look him in the face and he looks back and he said, uh, I'm here because of you. (laughs) Now in your face, in your mind, I want you to see a face. Who will say that to you? Look at me. I know it's sometimes hard if you're not there. 
I'm not trying to be hard on anybody. If it wasn't for the grace of God, none of us would get anything done, none of us would be saved. But Christ died that people might know him and live forever with him. And we are working for him, so to speak. Yes. I'm just going to ask you, I want to challenge you, as kind and graciously as I can, and I have to say it because someone cared about me, my wife's stepbrother, would you please right now, this shouldn't be too much to ask, somebody you work with or a place that you frequent to get work done, please see their face right now. Everybody here's got somebody like that. Do it. Do it. And then in a moment when we have the invitation, do you care enough about them to kneel and say, God, help me somehow to get my foot in the door so that somehow, some way, they can hear the gospel yes, sir. and that they will know somebody loved them. Oh, what would it be like if some of the people passed by us when we're at the judgment seat? I don't know how that's going to look. People whose faces we recognize because we worked with them and they didn't get saved and they look at you and then have to turn their face away because we didn't try. I, maybe there's a better title, but I look back now and I thought, work is a good fishing hole yes, sir. for a Christian. God made commerce to force us to come into contact. And it's doing a great job of bringing us into contact. But since we know why he did it, are we not going to follow through after his work? Let's all stand. Heavenly Father, uh, I hope I haven't come across pushy I don't mean to. And Lord, um, I'm not a good example as a soul winner. And I'll pray with what years I have left, you'd always help me to do better. And Lord, for the doors I put tracks on and people I've talked to, I don't know. They're free moral agents. But you know my desire. And now I pray for this church body. This is a family. There's two families in God's sight. Our earthly family, our wife, our children and so forth. And then there's the church. This is a family. And if this family would unite together and say, I'm going to ask God to somehow help me to kind of get started Get my foot in the door, maybe just a word or two, just how are you doing? Maybe to buy my Coke or coffee, something, just anything, and maybe down the road if they're not interested now. And maybe I can't tell them about you immediately. Maybe they can't handle it. Sometimes people have to know that we love them before they'd open up. And then I pray if anyone here tonight doesn't know for sure that heaven's their home. I was in church 14 years and didn't know it and then I heard it clear and I settled that and thank you for it and I think what might just happen to Eastside Baptist Church if this family leaves here and says Lord you see that image I have in my mind that man, that woman that young person I, I care for them help me 
to somehow get my foot in the door so that I may someday talk to him, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.